From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to our season finale of Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. It's been a phenomenal athletic year filled with incredible moments on and off the field, from walk-offs and Hail Marys to inspiring stories like those of Randy Russell and Lauren Evans that we've told on this very podcast. But with baseball's exit from Omaha, we officially closed the book on the 2017-2018 athletic year, and now it's time to reflect. As we discovered last summer, the best way to do that is by sitting down with Athletic Director Scott Strickland to review it all. Now wrapping up his first complete season at the helm, we spoke to Scott about his experience in Omaha and the uniqueness of the College World Series, the remarkable success of the program overall, major coaching developments from this year, the latest updates on the various facility projects, Dan Mullen's first seven months on the job, his favorite moments from this season, the addition of Jay Jacobs to his executive staff, how he filters through his endless Twitter mentions, his views on the expansion of replay in college athletics, and his summer plans. Having just returned from Omaha, Scott began our chat by trying to put the College World Series in the proper context. It's kind of like uh, a great musician. You only need one name to let, everybody, let everyone know exactly what it is, right? You know, <laughs> Prince... Elvis, Omaha. You know, <laughs> you say Omaha and everybody understands how special that is, how important it is. And you think about how many programs dream of one day getting to Omaha. And here the Gators have been seven times in the last nine years, four straight years. It's an unbelievable testament to Kevin O'Sullivan and the job he's done. And also to all the young men that have worn the orange and blue and have, have put us in position to get there. And th- that's one of those... Uh, Fans have never been, and I know we have a lot of Gator fans who follow our baseball program closely uh, and who probably watch every game they play in Omaha every year but have never been out there. And I want to encourage those fans, you need to put that on your bucket list to make the effort to go out there and see that it is one of the most special uh, events in all of college athletics, maybe as special as any, including the Final Four. And so every day you wake up in Omaha for the College World Series, it's a good day, and there's eight deserving teams that go out there and unfortunately only one of them gets to hold the trophy up at the very end and a year ago that was the Gators for the first time uh, I'm confident that the Gators will get the chance to do that again but the important thing is we have a program at Florida that year in and year out puts itself in a position to be there and that's uh, a lot easier said than done and you look in totality what this baseball team did spent most of the year ranked number one in the country won the SEC for a second straight year, and and oh, by the way, won it with like four regular season games to go, which is almost unheard of. Sure. And then make it back to Omaha for a fourth straight year. It's it's pretty remarkable, and it's a, these are the good old days of Florida baseball. You just hit on something that I actually talked about with, with Scott Carter on last week's podcast. In terms of how special Omaha is, it was high up on his list of greatest championship events, and in terms of what event stands above all the rest, college, professional, you name it. Uh, I'm curious for you, is it Omaha or is there something that, that even jumps that in your mind? You know, I, I kind of came up in college athletics traveling around with college baseball teams. So Omaha holds a really special place in my heart. You know, I think the SEC football championship game is a pretty special event. I would put it up there with Omaha because, um, number one, it was it was the first conference championship game 
It sells out every year. You know, it's in Atlanta's kind of the crossroads of the SEC, if you will. It's at the same time every year, and it is appointment viewing. Routinely gets one of the highest ratings of, of any college football game. I'd put the SEC football championship game up there, uh, the College World Series, the Final Four. But from a spectator standpoint, I love going to the Final Four and all the stuff around the Final Four. Mm-hmm. But unless you have a team in the Final Four with these mega arenas that they're putting it in with seventy and 80,000 seats trying to see the court, to me, that, that has taken away some of the fun of actually sitting and watching a game in that setting unless you have a team that's playing in it. But the College World Series, that ballpark, TD Ameritrade, is perfectly sized. It's a it's a major league ballpark that seats 24,000, basically. And it is designed specifically for that event. I don't know of another sporting event facility in the country that is designed for basically two weeks a year, except for maybe Augusta National. Mm-hmm. Where you think about that is what, I mean, I know Augusta National is a course with members, but where you have, that's only, I mean, Creighton plays there, but that thing was built and designed to host that event. So um, I would put it up there, College World Series up there with any other. The Women's College World Series is, an, and I've obviously had a chance to go the last couple of years to see Coach Walton's team. It's an awesome event, but, you know, candidly, that facility is not as good as what Omaha's invested in. And, and I would love to see, and I know Oklahoma City has some plans to invest in the facility there. Um, hopefully that'll, that'll help that because that's obviously a great event with, with high-level play going on as well. No question. Uh, you tweeted recently that 12 of the 21 Gator sports this year finished in the top five nationally, which is just remarkable to wrap your head around. What does that say about the success that this program continues to achieve across the board? Well, number one, it's a, it's a credit to our student athletes and our, and our coaches. You know, it, it all starts there and, and we have a, we're fortunate to be at a university that's one of the top 10 public universities in the country. So we, you know, we have the academic piece we can offer young people, but then we have coaches that take that platform and, and go out and attract the very best. And it, it is hard to wrap your, your mind around that level of consistent success across the board. And um, I think we won five or six SEC championships and, and obviously we won other national championship in men's indoor track. Again, it's, there's a lot of times in our department where you catch yourself trying to remind yourself how special it is. And, um, you know, we want to win every trophy and we, we want to be number one in everything. But the fact of the matter is you got to put yourself in position on a consistent basis to give yourself a chance to do those things. And um, it's hard to put yourself in position on a consistent basis, like I was talking about with baseball. But whether it's tennis or golf or, or softball or volleyball, or, you know, all these sports, men's basketball, uh, they all consistently put us in position to, to be able to compete at the highest level. And, you know, it's, it's fun to be at a place and to work with people that have that goal, something in mind that we shoot for every year. You mentioned great coaches being an important part of that. I want to talk about coaches right here. And let's start with a great one that unfortunately you lost this year when Greg Troy announced his retirement. Can you talk about his legacy with the swim and dive program and also how you landed on the decision to split that job into two people going forward? Sure. And, and I think those, those, uh, those two questions were actually connected. You know, first start with Greg, you know, to do it 20 years and to have the success he had. You know, we talk about championships a lot, but he won championships. He produced um, not just Olympians, Olympians who achieved at the highest level. And it's uh, fitting that he's kind of going out with a guy, at the same time a guy, Caleb Dressel, is going out, who is the fastest human in the pool these days and uh, will probably be the face of the U.S. US Olympic team in 2020. He produced a number of those guys, Ryan Lochte and, and several others. And so, you know, Greg started just coaching one gender, and then they combined the program under his leadership. And 
uh, he finished his Gator career winning six straight SEC men's championships and, and you know, uh, on the men's side, uh, a number of top five finishes. Uh, you know, the women, I think he'd be the first to tell you that, that it's hard in this day and age for one person to coach both men and women in swimming. And it happens, but it's it's becoming more of a trend to see to see you split those up because you're able, when you do that, to give both genders more uh, specialized attention. And the women have, have been trending upward the last couple of years. They're not where we want them to be, but they've made progress. And Jeff Papel, who's a former head women's swim coach in this league, who's been on our staff the last couple of years and has been a big part of that, of that momentum, um, was here. And, and that seemed like a, uh, an obvious move to give him opportunity to kind of build on that. Been involved in our recruiting on the women's side the last couple of years. And we've had some momentum there. And then on the men's side, it was about an obvi- as obvious as the choices you can, you can find when you have a guy like Anthony Nesty, who won an Olympic gold medal himself, but was a, a swimmer for the Gators, longtime coach, has so much support and respect and admiration in the Gator swim community. It was, you know, it's kind of fun to help people who, who are deserving to realize their lifelong dream. And, and Anthony will be the first to tell you that it was a, a dream of his to be head coach of the Gators. And when you follow up someone who's really successful like, like Greg Troy, it makes a ton of sense to try to keep that continuity as much as you can, even though we split the program from a coaching standpoint. I think you'll still see a lot of, of uh, interaction between those two. We talk, we've talked about that, both you know me and, and Jeff and Anthony, all three together, have talked about we're going to be separate programs from a sports standpoint. But as far as, uh, you know, they're still operating out of the same facility, much like our, our golf programs do and our tennis programs do. And we want there to be a lot of alignment there. And I, I think because those guys have been on the same staff, we're going to have an opportunity to see that going forward. And I think it's really got a chance to be the best of both worlds. And, and at the same time, Coach Troy is still going to be around coaching uh, the elite swimmers that I mentioned earlier, the Caleb Dressels of the world, who are, who are going to be gunning for uh, Olympic gold in Tokyo. And so we still have his influence around uh, for the high-level athlete who, who, you know, in the summer or something may want to work with him. So it's a, I think it's a really unique situation, and, and it's a really good one for the Gators. There have been some really significant contract extensions that have been announced recently. So I'm going to talk about both Mike Holloway and Tim Walton, who both have 10-year extensions, as a matter of fact. I want to talk about each of them and the importance of getting these deals done. So I guess let's start with the one that came first, uh, Mike Holloway, right after winning another national championship and how that deal got done and and why that was so important. Well, um, uh, the two years I've been here, our our men's program has won two national titles in indoor and outdoor and has finished runner up the other two times. And and our women have have been top five pretty consistently. And, uh, And then we swept the uh, men's and women's SEC outdoor championships this past year for the first time in our school history. By any objective measure, Mouse is as good as any coach in the country. And, and obviously he's a Gator. He, you know, spent his formative years here and this is, uh, this is home to him. And so it was a really simple conversation. Mouse, what's important to you? And, uh, you know, having that kind of longevity and letting everybody know that this is where he intends to coach the rest of his days was really was a priority for him. And that was an easy decision on my part because uh, you would have to search long and, and far to find someone as effective at what they do as Mouse is. And then you, you combine that with the kind of person he is and the kind of program he runs, and the kind of young people that come into that program and the way he holds them accountable, both on and off the track, you know, from a management standpoint, that was a, that was a really easy decision. And, and then Tim Walton, and I'll just jump to that one. You already know how this works, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Tim, uh, is 
every bit is obvious. I mean, the, the record speaks for himself. And I, I tell these coaches, uh, and I was obviously fortunate to inherit a, a group of really talented coaches from Jeremy Foley when I came in here, that I feel so blessed that I get a chance to work alongside and learn from and help support uh, people like Mouse Holloway and, and Tim Walton and all the others, Sully and Mike White, and I can go down the list, Becky Burley, all of them who are so so talented and, and so successful here. And Tim's a guy that's won two national championships, and we've won four straight SEC championships. And I lost track of how many times we've gone to the College World Series in recent years, but seemingly we're there just about every year, uh, much like we were talking about with baseball. And, you know, again, that was important to, to Tim. And, uh, you know, there, there, there wasn't much downside there from an administrative standpoint to go ahead and, and put in that kind of commitment in Tim. And he's a guy that I think any school in the country would love to have leading their softball programs. And we're, we're blessed to, to say that he's leading the Gators. We talk all the time about college athletics and just how it continues to grow. And, and as it grows, money grows. And we now live in a world where Oklahoma softball coach Patty Gasso just signed a new deal where she's making almost a million dollars a year. So when you've got a market where even some of the the smaller non-revenue sports are generating those kind of of salaries for coaches, how do you go about making sure that everybody is happy across the board, given how many elite coaches you have in almost every sport? That's a real challenge um, because as as blessed as the Gators are to, to have great resources, and we do have wonderful resources because of Gator Nation, the way they support our program. Um, and Gator boosters out there who, who contribute to support our program, um, there it's not unlimited, right? There there is a bottom to that pit, sure. and and so we do have to to be smart and strategic. Um, and candidly, uh, I don't think we have a single coach who's the highest paid in the country at what they do. And I say that, understanding that we have several coaches that I think are the best at what they do in the country. But part of being at a place that wants to compete in all 21 sports at the highest level um, is understanding that there's got to be some sacrifices. And those sacrifices may be instead of being the top paid coach and getting what you, quote, deserve, um, you may be one of the top five highest paid coaches at your, in, you know, at your sport. And you may have to be okay with that because the trade-off is we're going to try to win in everything, and that's the way we can spread the resources around. Um, if we might woke up one day and said, you know what, of those 21 sports, we really only care about winning in 10 of them, it'd be really easy to make some guys or some people the highest paid in their sport um, in the country. But um, I think Gator Nation, and, and I know me personally, I like the fact that every single athlete who wears the orange and blue feels like they have a chance to compete at the highest level because they have unbelievable coaching and leadership and support. And I think we have to, to be smart about how we – we spread those resources around to, to give us the best chance to do that. So it, it is a balance. We have coaches who understand it. Uh, our coaches are, are well compensated, and they would be the first to tell you that. It's not about them. It's about being in a place like Florida where you have a chance to, to compete at the highest level and make an impact. Um, but there is, you know, if we had somebody that uh, the number on a paycheck was the most important thing, they probably wouldn't be at Florida. Uh, the fact of the matter is we have coaches that the most important thing is, is uh, being a Gator. Well, I know something else that's very important to them is making sure their facilities are up to date to the highest level. And that's been a huge undertaking that, that you've been involved in since you got here. So there are now multiple projects in motion, including football, baseball, softball, track and tennis. Uh, I guess, can you take us through the status of all of these ongoing projects? Sure. And I, you know, I always 
I want to give credit where credit's due. You know, I, I, when I got here a couple of years ago, Florida had just completed three beautiful facilities, included including uh, the Hawkins Center at Ferrier Hall, which is our academic uh, center for our student athletes, which that was kind of the first thing that started this infrastructure investment on facilities. And, and I think it's appropriate that a place that values academics like Florida does, that that, that was one of the first things the athletic department invested in. Um, but uh, we are currently underway. We have construction at, at softball, KDC Shoal, Presley Stadium. Um, it's about a $12 million renovation, and uh, it'll provide increased seating, increased capacity, all chairback seats, get rid of those those metal bleachers, put chairback <laughs> seats everywhere. A new press box that's going to be elevated, which uh, obviously be better for those who work in that press box, but also it'll provide that open concourse where uh, fans can you know can can have a view of the game if they step back to the concession stand and and uh, also have a lot more shade structure kind of being created by that out in the stands um, and and then totally new clubhouse coaches offices team area so that's that's something we're excited about that's underway right now that's going to be finished in time for the 2019 season next spring so uh, that is uh They've already demolished the old press box, Adam. You'll be sorry to hear that. I saw that the video was, it was oddly emotional watching that video. It's, <laughs> it's amazing to see how something so strong that has stood for so long can be so easily destroyed by the, the whip of, of, a, of a little dump truck almost. Well, yeah, that's, uh, but it's a really big dump truck. So that's, that's, that's true. That's, I'm sorry. That it, it, is, it is a large dump truck. <laughs> um, and then you mentioned uh, track and tennis. We're resurfacing the tennis courts, all 12 outdoor tennis courts. And at the same time, we're investing a couple million dollars in, in renovating our, our track surface and, and moving, redoing some stuff with our jumps area. Um, the reason we're able to do that is um, it, we're putting the, some of the jumps inside the oval and uh, we're able to do that because soccer is going to begin playing all of their matches out at Disney Stadium, which uh, in the past they they have played selected matches. Uh, it's just a it's just a better soccer venue than the Presley Stadium over the track was. So um, we'll get uh, soccer out to Disney Stadium. And uh, so anyway, we're doing the renovation of the track right now, renovation of the tennis courts right now. This fall, we hope to break ground on the brand new baseball uh, stadium. Uh, out there on the southwest part of campus across from softball next to Disney Stadium. It's our hope to to have that ready for the 2020 season. Uh, it'll probably be about a 16-month uh, construction process to have it ready for the 2020 season. And then once baseball has been relocated, we'll break ground on a new football player development center complex where McKeithen Stadium currently sits adjacent to our football practice field. So these are obviously uh, – Large-scale projects, and, and there's some, as you can tell, there's some, there's a domino effect uh, that allows us to kind of go in sequence. But uh, I think this has a chance to, to really uh, make an impact long-term for the Gators and, and uh, people in college athletics. I'm sensitive people thinking that uh, we build buildings just to build them, but, but really we, we talk all the time about the importance of athletics on a, at a place like Florida, the way it increases the brand of our university and to be as good as we want to be, not only do you have to invest in people, but you have to invest in infrastructure. And, and these, quite frankly, are infrastructure investments that are going to allow those programs to continue to compete, be successful for years to come. As far as individuals that you invest in to be successful, one of those this year was Dan Mullen. And I know we talked after he was hired about that on an earlier podcast, but I'm curious after seven months on the job, albeit nothing on the field yet, that doesn't come for a few more months. I'm curious for your thoughts on what you've seen from him off the field, trying to get the program back to the right place. It's everything that I I think we had hoped and thought it would be when, you know, we hired Dan. Um, 
He immediately, I believe, developed rapport with our players and, and uh, instilled accountability that it's important that a new head coach comes in and puts in place. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot has been made of the job Nick Savage has done in the, in the weight room. And, and this time of year, the reason a lot of people talk about that is that's where the focus is. Um, it's on academics and it's on conditioning and, and, and mental toughness and developing those traits that are going to allow you to be successful in the fall. And so it's, you know, Dan's done a phenomenal job with, with that. And, and, uh, he's been, you know, anytime you come in brand new to a situation, there's a lot that goes on and his work ethic has been, uh, to, to use the term he likes, uh, relentless. Hmm. And, but he's, he and his staff have just completely got after it, whether it's recruiting or whether it's, uh, developing relationships with the current players or, or whether it's uh, putting uh, the systems in place that are going to allow our teams to be successful or whether it's getting out and uh, reacquainting himself with Gator Nation and our fans around the state and, and beyond. Um, you know, I think he's made a huge impact in a very short period of time, and I'm optimistic that's going to continue as uh, the season begins this fall. In terms of other staff moves from this past athletic year, another recent one was the addition of former Auburn AD Jay Jacobs to your executive staff. Uh, can you talk about his addition and why he was the right fit for that role? Well, a uh, couple things. Number one, he's he's replacing a guy that was incredibly valuable to the Gators and, and Mike Hill. And Mike obviously had a chance to go and become the athletic director at Charlotte. Uh, a long overdue opportunity for him. And uh, it's hard to replace a guy like that. And, and as we uh, we went through that search process, you know, Jay is, is ironically a guy that uh, I pick up the phone and call to bounce ideas of potential candidates off of. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jay and I have had a relationship going back 25 years from when I was uh, just getting started in this business. And I was actually working at Auburn. He was a young assistant AD at the time there at Auburn. And uh, we've maintained a relationship since then. And, and uh, you know, Jay was the chair of the SEC athletic directors for the last several years and had a leadership position within our league and uh, not only continued to value his friendship, but I, I became more and more impressed with the way he managed people and and uh, challenging situations and, and uh, just has such a great temperament and great insight and great wisdom. So anyway, I, I was calling him periodically and bouncing names off of him and wasn't quite where we wanted to be on the on the search, and uh, one day I just called him up and said, "Jay, would you ever consider doing something like this?" And uh, I think he had to think about it for a little bit, just because you know he, he wasn't really sure what the next step for him was. But uh, I think the opportunity to be at Florida kind of got him excited, and he you know he he had been out of it for a few months, and I think he was ready to get back in. So uh, you will find that obviously Jay is a is a talented administrator and has a, a world of experience at the highest level, but uh, as good he is as good a person as you will meet and uh, is incredibly likable, is going to fit right in. And uh, the external groups that he's going to be overseeing, there's a lot of super talented young people on our staff in those areas, as you know well, uh, firsthand, Adam. Sure. And uh, I just think Jay's going to work, going to be really good for them and continue to build on the great work that Mike did in that area. And feel very blessed and fortunate for the Gators that uh, we were able to get somebody like Jay and his wife Angie to come down here and join us. You know, it's been an incredible athletic year and so many great moments. A lot of them have happened even in, in the last month or so. I'm curious from your standpoint, what have been some of your favorite moments from this athletic year? Uh, yeah, wow, there's so many of them. And, uh, you know, Pat Dooley on the Gainesville Sun this past weekend actually listed his top 10 from this from this past year. And it, it, uh, I don't want to say I'd forgotten, but it kind of jogged my memory on a couple of them. You know, certainly the the Jordan Matthews walk-off home run in the Super Regional for softball uh, was as dramatic as anything we have we saw this year, uh, maybe rivaled only by Austin Langworthy's walk-off home run in Game 3 of a Super Regional to beat Auburn. Hmm. Um, and then Tyree Cleveland's 
you know, catch from Felipe Franks to win the Tennessee game. I mean, those are sudden victories, and, and that's always fun, right, when you have something like that. Those are three number one plays from uh, from the Sports Center top ten this year. Oh, really? All three were number yeah, one? Yeah, all three number I did one. I not realize that. And, well, then I was at the Missouri basketball game in Columbia this year when uh, uh, we were hoping to get an overtime. They had the ball last possession, and Chris Chioza comes out of nowhere and steals the ball and, and lays it up right as the clock hits zero, and she's like fashion, right? Sure. Um, that was that was pretty special. So those right there. But then you look, I mean, I'm leaving out so many incredible moments when the volleyball team staved off elimination. And I think it was uh, the third or fourth set in the match to go to the final four and came back and won in five sets to get us to the final four. And, and we were down in that fifth set and rallied and, and won. That was, uh, had an awesome crowd at, at the O-Dome that night. Uh, and then they go on and, you know, win the, first, the national semis to get in the final match. That was pretty special. You know, every time you picked up Twitter, seemingly Caleb Dressel was breaking a record in the pool, mm-hmm. or Grant Holloway was, you know, doing something remarkable on the track. You know, and so there's just so many incredible athletes that, that we had a chance to sit back and watch this year. And those are the things that when you sit back and, and uh, you reflect on a little bit, because they are happening seemingly one right after another in real time, you don't get a chance to truly appreciate it because as soon as one happens, it seems like someone else is stepping in and doing something just remarkable. But this time of year, you kind of sit back and you reflect a little bit and, you know, it truly is a remarkable thing what these Gator athletes are doing and, and uh, kind of gets you excited for next year when you know we're going to have another batch of them trying to, trying to top that. Yeah, no question. And those are the things that I know fans get to see as well that they get to experience. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that it might be just as interesting, especially from your standpoint, that, that no one else ever gets to see. Uh, if you can take us behind the curtain a little bit, at least things that you can share, what were some of the, the bigger challenges that, that you had this season from an athletic director standpoint, and, and how did you go about dealing with those? Well, you know, obviously, uh, anytime you make a, uh, a change in a, in a high-profile sport like football, that kind of uh, has its own storyline. and. Uh, this year, this year's you know event there that led to Coach Mullen coming here is certainly no different, and that on on a professional level was probably as significant as anything. But you know we've spent a lot of time. I, I talked about facilities earlier. Laird Beach on our staff has uh, really kind of guided the ship. He and a guy named Bill Smith and kind of putting our plan in place. And uh, you know the things I talked about earlier on this podcast will probably take us the next two, three, four years. Um, we've got visions of things that you know they're going to take us through the next decade from a facility plan standpoint and uh, a lot of work goes into that and that'll be an evolving document so to speak but that that's kind of fun to work on too and kind of look around the band and, and see what's coming and be a part of that process and, and at the right time we'll obviously be in position to share that with gator nation and what the ideas are going forward you know a chance to to work with the 350 people who are on our staff um and a lot of them fans have never heard of, but uh, we have so many people where they work, whether they're in the ticket office or working the Gator Booster staff or the business office or in operations or marketing or, I mean, maintenance people who, they're just remarkable people and they're so dedicated to making the Gators as good as can be and get a chance to work with those people day in and day out and see their dedication, their commitment. That's one of the things that makes Florida really special and something that uh, we try to make sure we appreciate each and every day. There's so many individual issues I'm sure you hear about from fans all the time. By being on Twitter, I guess it sort of uh, it sort of invites that in a way. Uh, I'm curious. I wanted to ask you about one issue in particular, but before I do that, I'm just curious. How do you filter through your mentions? I mean, there's so much I'm sure that gets sent your way. 
how do you find the things that are important that you then want to respond to and, and engage on? Wow. Um, that's a great question. I don't get uh, many mentions, so I don't, I don't know how that works. But <laughs> You know, typically, not always, but typically, if it's someone has an anonymous Twitter handle, if Gator Bob is out there listening, I don't know if there is a Gator Bob, but you know, <laughs> if someone is out there named Gator Bob and they tweet at me, uh, whether it's good or bad, if they don't put their real name, I'm going to kind of discount a little bit of it because it's easy for somebody to lob an opinion sure. if they're not using a real name. So I kind of discount that. If somebody uses their real name uh, or a real name, I assume it's their their name, you know, I'll, I'll pay attention to that a little bit more. And uh, if, you know, if I think they're they're being reasonable and rational, I'm probably more apt to respond. If uh, if I think they're just blowing off steam or venting or, or you know, being uh, disrespectful, I probably will. Uh, self-select that a little bit and, and maybe not pay as, atten- as much attention to it, but uh, it's never dull. I will say this. I have uh, I have muted a few people just because I kind of get tired. I don't block people just because I feel like if, uh, if they want to say what they want to say, they have the right to, but it mm-hmm. uh, doesn't mean I have to listen to it. So, <laughs> but, so I kind of I kind of pick and choose uh, depending, but also, you know, I will, I'm open to people who disagree rationally, and, mm-hmm. and I think as a leader, you got to be willing to, to listen to, to criticism and you don't have to look far on, on social media typically to find that. That's that's I'm sure that's a big part of your day is probably sorting through that. Uh, the the one issue I wanted to ask you about because I know fans were really really upset about this in recent times, and that is the issue of replay in college sports. And this really blew up uh, because of what happened at the Women's College World Series. I'm curious how far you personally think that replay should be expanded in college athletics, and then what ability do ADs in a high-profile position like yourself have to affect change in an area like that? I think you're going to continue to see expand. Um, obviously, the technology is there. You know, it was a little bit maddening that we, you know, the SEC had the opportunity in baseball this year to, uh, from an experimental standpoint to review plays that the rest of the country uh, had not sought permission to review. And so we, we kind of got accustomed to the SEC. We had a lot of uh, review opportunities to get plays right. And we got to the NCAA regionals and there was no review. And mm-hmm. then we got to the super regionals in the world series and there was limited review. So that's kind of frustrating that you have, you know, and I, obviously the SEC chose that path because we wanted to try to pioneer uh, a more expanded role for, for, uh, replay, and I would say as a league, we have we have probably done that in in every sport, whether it's football or or, or basketball or, or now baseball. Um, softball is a sport that that nationally does not have approval for replay. Um, I would not at all be surprised to to see that happen. Volleyball does have it on a limited basis. You know, one of the things it's concerned about is the time that it takes to do that and and how it kind of breaks the flow of the of the game. Volleyball is a sport. I think that it really does have an impact where it seems to stop the flow of the game. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's a downside, but these kids are competing at such a high level and, you know, coaches are, are putting so much into trying to, to be successful. Um, it seems like we should take the little step that we can to try to get calls right. And, uh, they're not going to get everyone right. Even on a replay, sometimes if, if the video angle is not there, you're not going to get it right all the time. But uh, it seems like the technology is there. We ought to, where it makes sense, use it to, to make sure that we give these uh, student-athletes best chance to, to find out who really wins the matches. Is that something that, at what level do decisions like that get made? Can ADs influence that? Is that purely an NCAA level? How, how does that part work? 
you know, typically it's it's uh, NCAA and conference driven, but uh, certainly on the conference level, athletic directors have a voice there, and and uh, is something we can bring up and and make a make it a point of emphasis. And hopefully, our league has success going forward and trying to affect change on a national level. This is now the off season. It's not a very long off season, but it is the off season as far as the athletic year. Do you have any vacations planned? What do you do to to wind down with what I assume is is some free time? I do. A uh, month of July is usually a time we can uh, get away uh, as a family, and uh, we do so. We uh, will go see uh, extended family, uh, most of which live in Mississippi, around the Fourth of July, and then um, we'll have uh, some family time. My wife and I are going to sneak away to the mountains for a few days, and. Uh, We'll have another vacation with our kids and, you know, we'll do that for a couple of weeks and then be back to Gainesville getting ready for another school year. But uh, I think it's really important as uh, as much as I'm blessed and, and love what I get to do uh, working in college athletics. It's really important that, uh, you know, all of us step away from our, our professions and, and uh, unplug a little bit and refresh and recharge. And I think we're that much better off when we come back and we get a chance to do that. So I'm looking forward to doing that. I'm going to read some books. Uh, maybe catch up on some uh, Netflix binge watching and and uh, be ready to go come the end of July. You you led me right to my final question. You know we can't let you get out of here without asking <laughs> you about uh, what is on your pop culture menu right now. So I, I don't know if you've had a chance to binge anything recently, but what is on the list? What are you looking forward to watching? Are there summer movies you're excited to see? Give us the uh, the the prospectus on that. Well, I I have uh, I'm behind on my movie watching. I I did see the the new Marvel. Avengers movie. I have not seen the Han Solo movie, although I hear mixed reviews. Very, not uh, enough people saw that movie, and Disney's not happy yeah, about it. I, I need to hustle if I'm going to go see it, I guess. <laughs> uh, I have not seen the, the new Incredibles movie, but uh, I will probably go with my family at some point to see that. Um, I have gotten into, uh, on Netflix, watching The Crown. Hmm. I love TV shows and movies that are based on real events, and it's That's based right. on British monarchy. So I'm watching that, and... Uh, uh, you know, I'm just reading a book here and there. I uh, have you ever read? A, have you ever heard of an author named Eric Larson? A lot of historical, a lot of nonfiction, um, but really in depth stuff. He wrote one about the Lusitania a couple years ago. Huh. And uh, anyway, I, I've I've completed his works, and so I've, I've tapped that well dry. So I've got to go find another author to to read up on. I will tell you that I have uh, re- started reading the works of a of a, a Gator alum. In uh, Michael Conley, who I'd never read. My, I've seen his books forever, but I'd never read his books. Hmm. And Michael, you may not know, is a season ticket holder for Gator basketball. He oh, wow. comes to a lot of our games in Orlando. And uh, I have started reading uh, some of his books, and uh, they're kind of, you know, whodunit crime drama kind of stuff set out in LA and really good stuff. So, um, I, I will probably pick up another one of his books before the summer's over with. Well, it sounds like you have a lot on your on your plate and on the menu, so we will not take up any more of your time. But thank you so, so much, as always, for uh, giving us the, the year in review from the AD perspective, and we look forward to a fantastic season next year. Thanks, Adam. Go Gators. And that's going to do it for this season of Gator Tales. While we may be going dark for a bit, There are tons of great stories to be heard from throughout this year on demand whenever you want, including those of Randy Russell, Lauren Evans, Andy Zhang, Todd Grantham, and many more. So be sure to listen to those throughout the summer in case you miss them. We want to thank the people that were instrumental in making this the most listened to season of Gator Tales yet, including Scott Carter, Chris Harry, Bruce Floyd, Scott McCord, Mick Hubert, 
Jeff Cardozo, Shelby Granath, the Florida Sports Information Team, and of course, all of the coaches and athletes who came on the show. We also want to give a very special thank you to Mike Hill and John Rubin, both of whom left the Gators for new opportunities this spring, but were the driving force behind the creation of this podcast. Finally, a ton of gratitude goes to all of you out there for continuing to listen to the only official podcast of the Gators and letting us join you at home, on your commute, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While we won't be back on our regular schedule until football season, we might release some surprise episodes during the summer, so be sure to refresh that feed so you don't miss anything. So for the final time this season, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you in the fall.